And I knew that I wanted to write about a single parent like me. And I knew I wanted to write about, I mean, I've always been interested in, in writing about people who um, ex- have lived experience of poverty and people who are growing up or living in places that maybe the rest of the world doesn't like to think about so much. Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, today we're talking to writer Alison Stein, and she has a new novel, Trashlands. A very interesting future you've created there. I, I do like the environmental part of it. Uh, it's, you know, about global warming and how things have, uh, you know, essentially changed the landscape, literally. At the center of this is coral. And tell us about that, uh, that plucker. <laughs> you know, I, I'm i a single mom myself. I have been since my son was born about 10 years ago. And he was born in rural Appalachian, Ohio, where I lived for most of my adult life. And I knew that I wanted to write about a single parent like me. And I knew I wanted to write about, I mean, I've always been interested in, in writing about people who um, ex- have lived experience of poverty and people who are growing up or living in places that maybe the rest of the world doesn't like to think about so much. Um, but uh, I actually, I dreamed this character in one of my rare times, not with my son, whenever he's not with me, which isn't very often, I always think I've got to go somewhere and write, you know, I've got to use this time. I don't have very mm-hmm. much. And I had actually rented this old school bus um, by the banks of a river in, in Michigan and it was you know pretty rustic it was kind of an Airbnb but pretty rustic and that first night I dreamed this person I Uh. dreamed this person named Coral and I knew she was a single mom like I had been thinking about and I knew she was um, in a relationship with an older person and I knew that she wanted to be an artist in this world and this landscape that really didn't support things like the making of art. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Essentially, she works uh, in a, I guess, a strip club, you know, to make ends meet a little bit. And so do we get to see not only her story, but some of her co-workers as well and what they're going through in this uh, future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as somebody who comes from a more working class background, whenever I read novels, especially like big, important literary novels, I'm always wondering, what do these people do for work? How do they make money? You know, how do they fund their lifestyle? And it's often not written about. So I knew, even though this book is set in the future and it's kind of a wild landscape, um, I wanted to know what people do for money. You know, I mean, look at now, we're in the middle of a global emergency in this pandemic. Yeah. We still have to go to work. You know, we still have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to, you know, talk about what she does to survive, which is literally literally pulling plastic out of the river um, and trying to recycle it. Uh, Her partner is a tattoo artist. There's also a sort of midwife healer in the community where they live. Uh, But the community is based around this strip club, which is an old theater that this man got the idea to kind of fix up, although not very much, um, and hire women to dance. And he thought men would come and spend money and do that. So even in this, you know, futuristic world and the post-apocalyptic world, people still have to find a way to eat. And I wanted to explore the many different ways they could do that and how that choice is maybe a little bit different for women than it is for men 
even in this future? Yeah, I, I think part of the appeal to me is uh, we don't get this enough, although lately it's it's gotten better, is to get this from a woman's point of view, rather than, because then the story would be different if a man were telling the story, obviously. Uh, so yeah, talk about that aspect of it. I mean, obviously, you've written a lot of feminist type stuff, and which is awesome, but, uh, and even poetry, which is cool. But, uh, but what, you know, why, why kind of go in this direction? You know, because you can do it as a kind of like a, a narrator stepping back as a third person almost. But to, uh, to me, I think it grounds it to have one of the central characters kind of tell the tale, and you see it through their eyes. My first novel, Road Out of Winter, is also sort of a emergency situation and a kind of apocalyptic situation. And I hadn't thought about it this way, but I was doing press for the, the book and um, a woman interviewer mentioned to me that it was really important to her that the, the three survivors in that book are all female you know, which is not something we normally see. There might be a woman who makes it, but she's like following a man, you know? So it was important to her that they be following this woman, that a woman needs them. And I guess I didn't realize how unusual that is. Um, but, you know, as a single mother of my dad was also the product of a single mother. And I, you know, I know a lot of those kind of women living in rural Appalachia and they're survivors. They're really strong. And I wanted that strength in my book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like if the world as we know, it does end up dissolving its edges and we have to start something new, maybe women would, would be in charge or maybe they would be leaders in some places in a way that we don't have as much now, you know, right. maybe yeah. the new world looks, will look different than the current world. Mm -hmm. um, I also thought it was important in Trashlands because my first novel is so focused on one woman's story what happened in Trashlands is it really ended up being the story of a community and a lot of the leaders of that community are women. So, you know, we have Coral, who's a young single mom who became a mom very young. Um, we have uh, Foxglove, who's the same age, but is much more jaded. You know, she works as a dancer. Um, we have Summer, who's older. There's also a midwife in the camp who's older. So kind of just getting those different generations of women and how they might lead and how they might react in this you know very intense world now as far as building the world did you do that first before you you kind of had an eye on the characters you know um i tend to go characters first i just i think i'm very people focused uh, my day job is in journalism and i'm always just really concerned with people, you know, communities. Um, what stories are there? What's the human face, you know, behind the story? So I think for me, it's really, like I said, I, I dream Trashlands and I thought of this character and I heard her speak to me. And so right away, I'm like her. And then I thought, wait, there's more than just her. This is a bigger story. And so then I began to think about the world and the community and what kind of people would live in a junkyard. Some people have to do it, but some people might have come there because they're running away from something else in their life or they're yeah. or something. And so I think they kind of, in my work, they kind of come together almost, the world and the people who would live in that world mm -hmm. and who make it. Awesome. Uh, is this a standalone or is there, is there more of a story to tell? 
It is a standalone, just like my first novel was as well. You know, people always ask you when you have a book out, is there going to be a sequel? Sure. Especially my dad. My dad always asked me that. Um, <laughs> I'm not planning one, but you know, the kind of sequels that I really love are books like um, Meg Ellison's The Road to Nowhere trilogy, where with each book, she takes like a minor character from the first one and expands upon their story. Yeah. And I could see doing that, you know, especially someone like Fox Love or something. I could see telling her backstory or, or what happens to her in, in 25 more years. I think that would be a really fun project. So. You have a son, and besides renting a bus and you know going to Michigan and, and writing there, how do you uh, how do you schedule your your day writing? It's hard, you know, but, but sure. writing is always hard for most of us, mm-hmm. except for the luckiest. Writing is always hard, um, and there are things about parenthood, maybe especially single parenthood, that sharpens your want as a writer. You know, um, I've I've always been determined, but I've never been as determined as as when I found myself a single mom unexpectedly. You know, you just want it so much, and you realize how precious the time that you have is, and how yeah. you have And so, you know, what works for me is that he's in school now. um, And as soon as he goes to school, I write in the morning. There you go. And I try to get a thousand words a day out. They might not be good words. They might not make sense, but I'm just getting to that word count. And then after that is done, then I do my day job. You know, then I do the work I have to do. But for me personally, trying to do creative work first thing in the morning works best because you're not stressed out. The emails haven't piled up. You have like a fresher perspective, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, the book has gotten a lot of praise. Uh, So, I mean, that's got to be gratifying. What's, you know, what's your reaction to all of that? I mean, you've gotten some uh, really nice reviews and, and comments from, from people all over the literary world. Oh, thank you. Uh, I feel like it's kind of had an extreme reaction. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I advise writers like not to hang out on Goodreads, you know, those I are you. really, they're for the readers. They're not for the writers, but I know that it's extreme. You know, there's either five stars or there's like one star. And I just think, um, I think that's okay. I think that I would rather inspire a very passionate reaction in someone than no reaction at all, yeah. you know, and um, it's a, it's a big intense story with lots of points of view and not everyone may like those points of view and that's okay. I just, um, I just hope I get to keep telling stories and I hope that even though this book is fiction and it's speculative, I hope that maybe it inspires people to take a second look at places that are rural and places that are more poor, like Appalachia, and the kind of work that we've always had to do there to get by, and the creativity and community spirit that is still there, you know, and always has been there. Um, I think that fiction can make people think a little bit more carefully about real life and the future also. Most definitely. I mean, a lot of the futures that we've seen are what I call Kubrick clean, where it's very clean, a lot of white colors, and mm. fancy gadgets and robots, which I love and everything. But to to do it this way, I think is, is to make it more, it just automatically to me makes it more of a human story rather than, 
sometimes we can get lost with the technology and get too wrapped up with that, especially in our films. But I, I, I like that aspect of it. That's a really interesting way to think about it. I mean, it's very dirty in Trashlands. So the title sure. is Trashlands, you know. Um, trash is a big part of the novel. Plastic, which we have everywhere now. And this yeah. is in the future. So in this book, it just gets worse, you know. And so thinking about, well, what would that look like to have trash in the river constantly? To have wow. to use the river to 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 find food, you know, what snack packages could still survive even if they're stale or what could you make out of old straws or plastic tubing. Um, and so it's, it, it was an interesting exercise. I think I had a headache for all the years that I was writing Trashlands, but it was, it was an interesting exercise too. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. Now, how did you, do you, self-publish or did you go through a publisher or is that how how did you do it i published uh you know what's known as traditionally um with my first novel i had been working on it for a while and when i felt like it was ready i tried to find an agent and a lot of people said no but the right person said yes and he submitted it um to publishers and we actually had an acceptance right away which really surprised me nice. but it ended up being very lucky. The publisher I worked work with for that book and this book, Mira, uh, my editor was just a really good fit for me. And we really understood each other and our voices were similar and we wanted to tell the same kind of story. Um, sometimes, especially when you write stories that have, you know, queer characters or that are more feminist, you're going to have people that want to water that down a bit. And she didn't, you know, she was Oh, like, that's good. Tell your story. Tell the story of your heart. And I did. Um, with Trashlands, it was a little bit different. I had just been laid off from my job. I had a full-time job in journalism, but, you know, like a lot of journalism outlets, they kind of ran out of money. Um, oh, yeah. And so my editor knew that, I mean, my agent knew that I needed money. And he said, I know you've been working on this book. I know it's a mess, but we could probably sell it with a couple chapters. So I worked on those chapters and, and we sold it. And I joked that um, they didn't really know what they were in for because they'd only seen a couple chapters. So they didn't know how wild it was going to get, but <laughs> I'm glad they stuck with me. All right. That's great. Wow. Interesting story. It really is amazing. Uh, you know, how, as far as um, women in particular science fiction, because that's what the playground we're talking about. What do you, what's, what do you think they are right now is uh, you know, movies, Ripley was really kind of a game changer. And we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, how is it in the literary front, in your opinion? I think uh, men, particularly white writers who are not disabled, that get the highest advances, you know, and they're going to get the most support. You know, high advance means more marketing. It means sure. more reviews and, and top name journals, you know. Um, and so that, I think that's still the case. I'm sure you've heard of the hashtag publishing paid me, um, which you can look at online. And a lot of writers have been very honest about their advances and what they did and didn't receive. So I think that's still there. But, you know, uh, people who are marginalized have always been telling their stories. It's just right. other people haven't always wanted to hear them. And I think we're finally getting to a place where we're realizing, hey, these stories are really important. Um, there's room for everyone. You know, there's room for all different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and the future may not come from the place we think it's going to come. 
you know? That's right. We come from a community we haven't thought of mm-hmm. or one that we've overlooked or counted out. And so I hope that those inroads continue. I hope that they're made wider. I mean, there's room for everyone to tell their stories. You know, we need those stories. And I know that, you know, I want to pay for them. I want to buy those books and read them. Yeah, I want to I want to read them and hear them and see them. That's what I, yeah. I do. I do. That's great. Anything that you're working on now? Well, um, I'm actually, um, uh, I am partially deaf. I was born that way. And I haven't really written about that in my fiction very much, not openly, I guess. And so I was talking with my agent about it. And, you know, we thought, you know, maybe it's time to tell the story of someone like me. And so I'm actually working on a young adult novel, which is different for me, which features a main character who has deafness just like mine. And it's kind of an intense process thinking about this, um, but I'm excited about it too. And I, I hope it makes its way out there and I hope it, it might reach someone like me when I was younger. Uh, talk about your book, Road of Winter. That sounds, so, so people are, besides this one, they have something else they might want to discover you in. Yeah, and it's it was out last year, so you can buy it. Um, Road Out of Winter is about, it's set in Appalachian, Ohio, where I live most of my adult life. And it's about a year where spring just doesn't come and it doesn't come back. It doesn't come back. And it's been going on two years of winter. And so the main character is a young woman who has grown up on her family's illegal marijuana farm uh-huh. illegal in Ohio. And she was born into that life. And her parents have left her um, to go somewhere warmer. And after two years with just winter, she decides it's time to go too. So she packs up her tiny house and leaves the farm. And along the way, she both, you know, picks up some outcast friends and also runs into trouble, including a man who doesn't want to let her go. Ah, wow. I I know it's been difficult for authors who like to do signings, go to conventions. I know you've done a lot of virtual events, but it looks like in FallCon, you're going to be there in person. Is that right? Well, there's a couple. Like there is a uh, booksellers association in uh, Denver where I'm going to be appearing at, Um, and we're kind of in the process of trying to arrange things. Sure. Um, I think a lot of events, and actually, I think this is a really good thing, especially for disabled folks like myself who maybe can't always get out or can't always hear or have access to live events. I think we're moving to a lot of hybrid events where maybe I do a reading at a bookstore, but it's also being live streamed or it's also going to be on YouTube later. So I, I hope that I hope the pandemic ends, but I also hope that we continue doing these kind of virtual events or having a virtual side so more people can join in. Hey, that sounds great. You know, um, I mean, I've seen some things, uh, you know, recently that have had uh, disabled people like the TV series C, where everyone is blind, really an amazing series. And of course, uh, the deaf girl is the hero. And, uh, you know, in the movies uh, with uh, God, I'm drawing a blank, but they just released a second film last. Well, two years, two years ago. But unfortunately, because of COVID, it kind of sat there. But the deaf girl was the actual hero of the film uh, when they were, uh, you know, I, you know, John John Krasinski's film with, uh, you know, his wife. 
But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was neat and, and something we haven't seen before. So anytime you can make people a little aware like that, I think it's a really good thing. Yeah. And I think that there are so many of us out there. I mean, there are so many disabled writers and filmmakers and screenwriters and photographers and right. you know, we're here, we're ready, we can do the work. And so I hope anytime something like that comes out, I hope it draws more attention to that. And the fact that, you know, there are all kinds of storytellers and all kinds of stories just waiting to be told. Absolutely. Well, the book is Trashlands, Allison Stein. Before we go, is there going to be an audiobook of this? I believe that there is, yes. All right. <laughs> Have you picked a narrator yet? or? I believe it's the same narrator who did Road Out of Winter. I'm oh, not fantastic. positive, but mm -hmm. uh, she's amazing. So I hope that it is. I hope that it's her. And I would be remiss to say, what's it like when you hear someone other than yourself reading your words and actually performing your words? Well, I was nervous at first. I mean, they, you know, every publisher is different, but they sent me like audition reels. Uh -huh. and she was the one I, I picked. She was my choice. Um, and one of the things I loved about her work was that she was very focused on getting it right. You know, my first book, Just Like Trashlands, is set in southeastern Ohio. Yeah. It isn't quite the south, but it isn't right. quite, you know, uh, Cleveland. You know, it's definitely yes. got its own dialect. Yes. Um, my family was from southern Indiana, kind of on the border there. Oh, wow. So there's a dialect there. And one of the characters of Road Out of Winter, a minor character called the Pumpkin King, like he talks just like my grandpa did. And so I was scared, you know, to hear how somebody not from there is going to do that but she did her research she looked at all this documentaries you know she sent me tapes she's like does this sound good i don't want to do an accent but is this you know kind of music of the voice correct and uh she nailed it she wow, that's great hey that's awesome yeah my wife uh was uh, from ohio she was uh she lived in geneva of, of ohio right Great Lake, right, right there. Yeah, I've, I've been there with her, and uh, and now, well, then she, South Carolina, Charlotte, and then New York, and that's where we met. So wow. great, awesome. So book Trashland and Alice. We've been talking to Allison Stein. You obviously have a bright future ahead of you, and oh, uh, going to be you. interesting to see what you do next. Thank you so much. And thanks for talking with me and your great questions. And oh, you know, thank thanks you. for caring about this kind of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you said, there's a lot of voices out there. And if I can do my part in getting those voices heard, I, I can sleep better at night and feel good about it. Absolutely. <laughs> and you can also enroll for a free lifetime membership at Sci-Fi Talk Plus with early release episodes, exclusive and uncut episodes. Just click on the link in the show notes. It's free for a lifetime. Now, if you subscribed, you would get weekly a day before the actual release. And it also uncut and commercial free. So there you go. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.